All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Igor Church. It's really good to have you with us today. Uh, I hear there's a football game coming up later on this afternoon, maybe. Maybe you've heard that a little bit, yeah. Uh, I just got to tell you, I was watching the Saints-Vikings game last week, and my nine-year-old son started to show the first signs of VCS. And VCS is Viking Childhood Syndrome. And when it became apparent that the Saints were going to kick this field goal, all of a sudden he's punching the couch, and he's like, I'm done with this team. And I was watching my own childhood play out before my very eyes. I said, I had VCS, and somehow I passed it along to you. And, And so to avoid the pain, I turned it off. I said, buddy, you don't want to put yourself through this pain, trust me. But thankfully, I kept the game cast on my phone, so I'd get little text updates. And so when I saw what happened, I said, you know, we, we might want to turn this thing back on just to make sure. And of course, our house went as crazy as your house did. Uh, I'm expecting this is going to be our highest attended weekend ever, because some of you woke up last Sunday and you're like, there's no God. We evolved from monkeys, all you crazy religious people, there's no God. And by the time you went to bed on Sunday night, you're like, there is a God, and I need to get my life right. And so we're grateful to have you with us here today as well. Uh, We are in the third week of a series called My Flippin' Family. My family has issues, your family has issues, and oftentimes it's those issues that make us want to flip our families like some people flip houses. But here's what God wants to do. God wants to build your family. God wants to restore your family. And that's really what this series has been all about. So far, we've covered the topics of dating and parenting. And today's message is titled Rent to Own. Now, if you've heard, if you're just coming in late or if you're just tuning in, we design all of our services for 12 years and older. But we've rated this one PG-13. So unless you want to answer questions about the birds and the bees on the way home, and mommy, daddy, what did he mean when he used that word? You may want to take advantage of our amazing kids programming because rent to own refers to our culture's attitude regarding sex. Now, for the last two weeks, I have been reading about the topic of sex. I have been studying the topic of sex. I told one of my coworkers this week, all I can think about is sex <laughs> for two weeks straight. That was all I could possibly think about. So that was my sacrifice for all of you for the last two weeks. That's been my life. But whenever this topic gets spoken about in church, there will always be someone who says, well, why are you talking about that in church? That just doesn't seem like an appropriate topic to speak about in church. And my answer to that is always, well, God spoke about it in the Bible. And so if God thought it was important to speak directly to it in the Bible, then we shouldn't blush either. In fact, this is one of the things that I love about God's word, that it's not insulated from the real issues of life. And sex is a real issue. In fact, for many of us, you would say that physical intimacy has led to some of your greatest joys in life. Just think about your kids if you have them. I mean, the day that your kids were born was probably one of the most joyful moments of your life. But that son or that daughter was conceived nine months earlier in a moment of sexual intimacy. And God designed it that way. God designed for it to feel good. There's a physical sensation around sex. There's an emotional connection and closeness and intimacy that you get with another person. Some of your greatest joys in life have been the result of physical intimacy. However, others of you would say, you know, honestly, sexual intimacy and sex has been the cause of some of my greatest pain. 
know, maybe you slept with somebody that you didn't know all that well. And you woke up the next morning with that empty, icky feeling. And you thought, what did I just do? Or maybe you were dating someone and you thought you were going to be together for life. You never thought you were going to break up. But then you did. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a moment. But when you become one with another person, you are never meant to break that apart. And so when you do, it just makes the breakup all that more painful and emotionally damaging. Some of you know that all too well. Some of us were sexually abused. And you know that sex is not merely physical because the wounds of that do not heal in two or three weeks, like a black eye or something. You fight those images and that pain for years. Some of us were raped. Sex was forced on you. Sex was taken from you. Something that was meant to be so sacred has become so demeaning. Here's my question. How could God create something that can conceive kids, elicit orgasms, intensify intimacy, and at the same time be the cause of such great pain? Not only that, but as with many things in life, there's the real deal, and then there's the counterfeit of the real deal. For example, I would argue that apart from sex, the greatest gift that God has ever given to us is bacon. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure that most of you would agree with that, that, you know, sex is really good, but you know, bacon, you're, oh my goodness, that's fantastic. And so my wife went to Costco and she got the best bacon, and then she taught our nine-year-old son how to fry it. So now I've got a little human being that can cook and serve me bacon. And I'm like, God, you are too good to me to provide a little human being to serve me my bacon. But one of my favorite gifts for Christmas this past year was from an attender here at Eagle Brook. And they had heard me talk about bacon in a previous message. And so they went out and got me all things bacon. They got me bacon, cotton candy. I love cotton candy, and I love bacon, so what could go wrong with that? I'm sure it's delicious. Uh, they gave me a bacon luxus chocolate bar. There was a bacon peanut butter cup. It's a great combination, bacon and peanut butter. There was bacon dental floss and bacon toothpaste. <laughs> the tagline on the toothpaste says, makes your breath bacon fresh because that's what we all want, right? Bacon breath, that's, that's great. Then there was some bacon soap. And I think I finally figured out why all the dogs in the neighborhood keep chasing me when I run by their house. All the ladies are like, get away, but the dogs are like, ooh, you know, so very popular with the canine community when you wear the bacon soap. Now, I'll probably use all of these things and eat all of these things after the weekend, but I'm guessing that they're not going to be as good as the real deal. Because here's what these manufacturers have done. They've taken something that God created as beautiful, as wonderful, as good for you, which is bacon, and they've turned it into something less. I wonder if that's what we've done with sex. I wonder if we've taken something that God created as good, that God created for our joy, and we've lessened it. We've twisted it. We've taken the sacred out of it. I don't know if you believe in a spiritual being named Satan or not. I do. And I believe in him for two reasons. First of all, I believe in him because Jesus believed in Satan and Jesus rose from the dead. 
So when in doubt, always go with the guy who rose from the dead. But second of all, I believe in Satan because when I look at the world today that we live in, it makes a lot of sense. Look at how the Bible describes Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, Satan is described as a deceiver. In John 8, 44, Jesus is describing Satan. He says he's a liar and the father of lies. When God created time and he put Adam and Eve, the first human beings, into the Garden of Eden, he told them what? He said, you can eat from any tree that you want except that one. And Satan came in behind God, and what did Satan say to them? Did God really tell you that you couldn't eat from that tree? I mean, seriously, are you sure that that's what God said to you? Because I don't know. You know. I think maybe God just doesn't want you to become like him. That's what it is. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have the power and the wisdom that he has. He doesn't care about you or love you. And that's still Satan's main strategy today. Satan wants to come in behind God and he wants to go, did God really say that you should wait until marriage to have sex? I mean, come on, did you really believe that? It's 2018, right? I mean, come on, we're way more progressive today. We're not the Puritans anymore. Why don't you just get with the times a little bit? It's your body. I mean, you ought to be able to sleep with who you want whenever you want because, you know, it's your body. You're in love. And marriage is just a piece of paper. And you need to take your relationship to the next level. Satan wants to take what God says is true, and he wants to come in behind that, and he wants to twist it. He wants to produce a counterfeit of it. Food is good as long as you don't eat too much of it. Sex is good unless you have it outside the context for which God created it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is addressing this issue of sexual sin, and look at what he says. He says, run away from sexual sin. So he's not neutral about this. He's not passive about this. He's like, you got to run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Now, whenever the Bible uses this phrase, sexual sin, what it's referring to is any sex outside the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. And I know that's not a real trendy thought in our world today, but that's what the Bible means when it says that. But here's the question I have for you. Why? Why does God care about this? Why does God care who you sleep with, when you sleep with them? Why would God care at all? Here's why. Because God cares about you. And sex is not merely physical, but sex is deeply emotional and spiritual as well. You are taking the most sacred, the most private parts of who you are, and you are uniting them together with another person. Which is why Paul says in the very next verse, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. When Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis passed away, they held an auction selling off many of her things. They sold an old, worn-out footstool for $33,000. They sold a tape measure 
for $48,000. I have like four of those at home. I would sell you mine for half that price. (laughs) But why were those goods so valuable? It's because of who they belonged to. In the same way you belong to Jesus Christ. Your body, it belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid a high price for it. He paid for it with his own life. Therefore, God says, honor me with your body. This is why God says to wait until marriage to have sex, to which some of us respond, yeah, but we're in love. And marriage is just a piece of paper. I mean, come on, that's just a certificate. What matters is that we are in love. If you believe that, I want to push just gently against your definition of the word love. See, oftentimes when people use that word, they use it to refer to an emotion or a feeling. You can know this because you'll hear people say, well, we fell out of love. You know, we we used to be in love, but now we're going to get a divorce or something because we've fallen out of love. And what they mean by that is, I used to feel this way about that person, but now I no longer feel that way. We have fallen out of love. Now, that makes perfect sense if love is simply a feeling or an emotion. But if love is also a behavior or an action, then it doesn't make as much sense. It makes the same amount of sense as if someone said to me, I just fell out of my truck. I just fell out of my truck. I have to sell that truck now. I got to get rid of that truck because I fell out of the truck. I mean, I was sitting in it a little bit ago, and now look at me. I'm sitting on the ground. I got to get rid of that truck. It's why when people say to me, I fell out of love, my first response to them is, well, why don't you try to fall back in love? Because love isn't just an emotion or a feeling. Love is an action. It's a behavior. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 5.25. He says, husbands, love your wives. He's not just meaning feel something towards your wife. He's saying sacrifice for your wife. Take what your wife desires, what her interests are, and put that ahead of your own. That's love. And that's why marriage isn't just a piece of paper. Marriage is a commitment. It's an action. The old word used for it was covenant. And when you would enter into a covenant relationship with another person, you were saying, you know what? I'm going to put some actions behind my words. I'm going to make it difficult to even get out of this relationship. It's not going to be as easy as just grabbing my toothbrush and my things and going, we're done, we're through, I'm out of here. I am going to enter into a legally binding agreement. And physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, was meant to be the celebration or the sealing of that covenant. That flies completely in the face of the rent-to-own theory that's popular in our culture today. The rent-to-own theory that's popular in our culture today says this. It says, you should live together before marriage because then you can find out if the marriage is going to work or not. And you should sleep with each other before you get married because how are you going to know if you're physically compatible or not? I mean, you might have the same values. You might be spiritually compatible, emotionally compatible. You might be attracted to each other, but I mean, come on. What if the parts don't like fit and you're not physically compatible? That's the rent-to-own theory. God's plan for your life is so much different. God's plan requires faith. It always does. God's coming to you and he's saying, I have created this wonderful gift to be celebrated within the relationship of a committed marriage. And so I want you to wait. 
until you're married. Not because I don't love you, but because I do love you and want the very best for your life. And the question is, do you believe God when he says that? That's what this comes down to. Are you going to listen to God? Are you going to trust God and believe what he says is true? Or are you going to listen to your enemy who wants to come in behind God and he wants to twist it? And he wants to go, did God really say that? <laughs> it's 2018 and none of your friends are doing that. And, and you ought to be free to do what you want to do. Who are you going to listen to? Let me give you three reasons why I hope each of you will adopt God's plan when it comes to sexuality in your life. Here's the first one. Your brain is being wired every day. You wire your brain. In other words, what you take in with your eyes and what you take in with your ears is going to cause you over time to think and behave in certain ways. Now, where am I going with this? Some people will say, you know, I don't think pornography is that big of a deal. And they'll even say, well, why do you care what I do in the privacy of my own home? And again, I care because I care about you. And because I care about you, I feel compelled to tell you that those images over time will begin to shape and change the way you think and the way that you behave. Your brain is powerful. It can store those images for years. And those images will literally begin to rewire your brain. What used to arouse you won't. What used to excite you doesn't anymore. And it's never enough. The more you feed your desire for pornography, the stronger that desire gets, and that ought to concern you. One of the great tragedies of our day is another woman coming out and revealing that she was sexually harassed in the past. And I strongly believe that no woman should ever be made to feel uncomfortable or sexually harassed because of something that was said to her, the way that she was touched, or an image that was sent to her. I am glad that the tide is changing on that. But here's the question I want to ask. As a society, what should we collectively do to solve this problem of sexual harassment? The answer that our world is giving us today is behavior modification. If we can just fire and get rid of everyone who's done this, that's going to solve the problem. But is that actually true? I was driving through Florida. I was down there for a wedding in December, and I drove by a Hooters restaurant. Now, what is Hooters known for? They're known for scantily clad waitresses revealing their cleavage as they serve you your food. You are paying so that you can look at those women that way. Some people say, well, they just got great chicken wings. Yeah, I used to say that before I was a Christian as well. Trust me, there's other places with better chicken wings. <laughs> what about a strip club? You say, oh, come on, at a strip club, those women are making good money. And we're all adults. I mean, they know what they're getting into. Nothing's being forced upon them. But again, notice the dynamic. You are paying money to look at a woman's body. In every single example that I just gave you, whether it's hooters, pornography, or strip clubs, women are being viewed as, they're being treated as a commodity. A commodity is something that you spent money for, and now because you did that, you get to use, you get to enjoy those goods. Many of the TV shows, 
movies and internet sites that we are surrounded by on a daily basis say this about women and sometimes about men, that that I'm here for you to consume. If you'll buy our product, if you'll put down good money, I'm here for you to just take in, enjoy, and consume. I'm a commodity. And that is the real problem. Jesus says that a good tree will produce good fruit. What does he mean by that? He means that an apple tree is naturally going to produce apples. And in the same way, a lustful heart is naturally going to produce lustful behavior. That's why behavior modification doesn't work. What men really need right now, what we really need right now, is we need to change our hearts. Just because you get rid of the bad fruit doesn't mean the tree is going to stop producing it. The only way to change your behavior is to change your heart. So how do you do that? Well, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. In other words, what you take in with your eyes is going to eventually make its way down to your heart. It's why Job said in Job 31.1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made an agreement with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. What if every one of us here today made a covenant with our own eyes? What if we said, you know what, when that comes on the TV set, I'm changing the channel. When my eyes see that, I'm going to bounce my eyes and I'm going to try to look the other way as best I can. I'm going to make a covenant with my own eyes that I'm not going to look lustfully on another person. Let me say this as strongly as I possibly can. No person who is a follower of Jesus Christ should ever go to a strip club. Ever. You are taking a God-given, Holy Spirit-living body and turning it into a commodity. You are taking a human being that God created and God loves, and you are using them for your own pleasure. And then you're justifying it by saying, well, I, I paid good money for that. That's wrong. Same for X-rated movies and most R-rated movies as well. Now, let me say a word to those of you who are struggling with pornography right now. Because I want you to know that I have a lot of grace and empathy for you. Most people who I know who have gotten hooked on pornography, they did so at a young age before they really understood the consequences of what was happening. And they would love to quit. They would love to be set free, but they just can't seem to. And so I want you to know today that God loves you. And his love for you is not dependent upon how much or how little you looked at pornography this week. But I also want you to know that the more you view those images, the more in bondage you are going to become. That over time, your ability to relate to a real person, like your spouse or your future spouse, is going to become severely diminished. And pretty soon, you're going to become nervous when you're in a situation where you're not fully in control. Because that's part of what pornography is. It's just you, and you're fully in control. And when you're not fully in control, you'll start to become nervous. You can get help. You've got to get help. We've got a ministry here at church called Quest 180. And it is an addiction recovery ministry. And as a part of that, we have a whole group that's dedicated to pornography or people trying to become free from sexual issues in their life. And let me just tell you something. No one in this church is going to judge you. 
I have had people confess things to me that would make you blush. And when they walk away, I never think less of them. I always respect them more for having the courage and the humility to face into their issues and fight against those in their life. You can be set free. You can find victory. You can rewire your brain. Doesn't happen overnight. 10 years of viewing pornography is not gonna change in a month or two, but you can rewire your own brain. Here's the second reason I hope you'll adopt God's plan for sexuality, it's this. There is no condom for your soul. When I was in high school growing up, the, what I was taught in my health education classes was this. Don't get them pregnant and don't get an STD. And if you can do those two things, we, we don't want you to have sex necessarily, but you're probably going to. So just make sure that you're having safe sex. That was the term that was used. It was safe sex. And sex was safe if you were wearing a condom because then you could avoid getting the person pregnant. You could avoid getting an STD. Here's the problem with that. Sex is not merely physical. Again, it is deeply emotional and spiritual as well. And there is no condom for your soul. Sex is connected to your soul. And you can know this is true because this is why abuse and rape are so devastating to a person. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. Paul is speaking to this idea of permanence. He's saying that when you unite yourself to multiple sexual partners, then when you break those apart, there is a tearing of your soul. And who is that hurting? That's hurting you. My son Jasper, when he was two years old, we were making a gingerbread house one night. And right when we got done, I could tell that Jasper just wanted to eat the whole thing. And so I said to him, I said, Jasper, do not touch the gingerbread house. And as you can tell from this picture, <laughs> he was trying very hard. But every few minutes or so, his nose would get a little closer. His hands would get right up to it. And pretty soon he was up against it just like this. And so I had to say to him, I said, Jasper. And he looked at me and he goes, what? I'm just looking. <laughs> and maybe you're listening to this message and you think, what? I'm just looking. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm, I'm just looking. But notice why I told Jasper to wait. Is it because I don't love him? No. Is it because I know how good sugar and gumdrops and frosting taste and I wanted to withhold all of that from him? No, it's because when Jasper eats too much sugar, he gets a stomach ache, and it's not good for him. And so I said to wait. I wonder if that's a good analogy for why God tells us to wait, to have sexual intimacy within marriage. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he knows how good it feels and he wants to withhold that from you. It's because God understands the pain that happens when you unite together and then you break apart. He understands the residue of multiple partners, the comparing that can take place. And so God says, I want the very best for you. I love you. And so I want you to wait. Now, some of you might be listening to this and you're going, well, 
I really wish I would have heard this five years ago. I mean, I really wish I would have heard this two years ago, 10 years ago. But let me tell you, uh, that ship sailed. I, I've done that. And I want to read to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, right before he says to flee from sexual sin. So this is connected to the verse that we read earlier. He says this. He says, those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. But then he goes on and he adds, there was a time when some of you were just like that. But now your sins have been washed away. You have been set apart for God. You have been made right because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, I'm guessing most of us have done at least one thing that was on that list. I have. And the good news for us today is this, that when you confess your sins, when you receive God's grace and his forgiveness, you can be washed clean. You can have a new start and a second chance. There is no condom for your soul but there is a power washer for your soul. And his name is Jesus Christ. Here's the third reason why I hope you'll adopt God's plan. It's this, sex is better in marriage. Now up until this point, I've been mostly addressing those of you who are single, but I, I wanna turn my attention now for a moment to those of you who are married. And I just have one goal in this section, and that is that you would have more sex. Now some of you are like, Ooh, I'm so glad I came to church today. Praise God. <laughs> it actually hit me last night because my parents come to the four o'clock service at one of our campuses. And I went in the back and I thought, I just told my parents to have more sex. <laughs> and I'll be honest, that really creeped me out a little bit. They're, they're 78 and 76 years old. And so not everyone needs to apply this, okay? Have some self-awareness, use discretion, okay? <laughs> but when single people are on TV shows or movies, they have this fun and exciting sex life, don't they? And then the married person walks into the room and they'll say, hey, how's your sex life? And the married person will go, what sex life? I'm married. Cue the laugh track. And that's kind of how things are portrayed in our culture today. But there's been some scientific studies done on this, and the research is astounding. One of the most well-known studies was done by a man named Dr. Walt Larimore. And what Larimore found in his extensive research was that sex is better in marriage. Here was his conclusions. He said the movies and sitcoms have it all wrong. They are spreading the urban legend that sex is best when you have plenty of it with plenty of partners. But one of the best kept secrets in America is the best sex is not found in the singles bars on university campuses, not even in the romantic hideaways of ski lodges or beach resorts. The best sex is not in the city or in the sex capades on Wisteria Lane. Nope, the most satisfying sex in America is in the bedrooms of people who are married for life. In that same study, one of the most astounding things that they discovered was that the myth, and one of the most dangerous myths, is that living together before marriage will result in a better marriage. Because of that thought, the number of couples living together has increased by a thousand percent in the last 30 years. It's almost a social anomaly now to not live together before you get married. And I'm guessing that there's some or even many of you who 
you lived together before marriage or you're currently living together before marriage. And so I just want to share this with you out of love. I just want to share this research with you. It's by a guy named David Guggle. He's written a book called Before You Live Together. And here's what he found. He boiled the thousands of couples that they studied down to eight. He said, of the eight couples that lived together before marriage, four of them will split apart and not marry. And of the four that do marry, he says, three of them will divorce. Why would you want to live together before marriage? You're giving yourself a one in eight chance. You think, well, we're going to beat the odds. But you're probably not. Why would you want to do this? The scientific research confirms what the Bible says, that sex outside of marriage leads to pain and separation. Sex within marriage leads to intimacy and closeness. There's more. In that same study, Laramore found that the most satisfied people sexually are the most religious. I'm serious. Some of you are like, I need to pray more. Okay, right? Get on that right away, right? But here's what they found. They found that the couples who reported being more religious said that they had more frequent, more fun, more satisfying sex lives. The most sexually satisfied people in America today, according to this study, are conservative Protestant women. Mainline Protestants and Catholics, 5% behind. Just throwing that out there. Do that with that what you want. I'll just let you know the data. <laughs> Religiously unaffiliated, 22% behind. I feel like I need to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Some of you would be running up front like, I need Jesus. <laughs> but here's my point. Romance, sexual intimacy is better within marriage. Now, some of you hear that and you think, you got to be kidding. My spouse and I are sleeping in separate bedrooms or, you know, I don't even like them, let alone trust them. And if that's you, I recognize that giving yourself away in the most intimate of acts it's probably not realistic right now if you don't trust that person or like that person. I'm not going to ask you to fake it. But here's what I am going to ask you to do. Take a step towards your marriage this week. Go set up an appointment with a Christian counselor. We've got a website we're going to throw on the side screens. Take that down. Get some information. Set up an appointment. You know, spend some time with one of our pastors or with a godly friend and say, you know what? Our marriage needs help. Would you help us work through some of these issues? Those issues are a block on the intimacy of your relationship. You know, for every one of us, your marriage is going to go through seasons. You're going to go through seasons of closeness and seasons of distance. In fact, sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, you know, how often should I be having sexual intimacy or physical intimacy with my spouse? And I say, you know what? There's no number. You know, sometimes you go through, you have little kids, or you're busy with work, or there's health issues. You decide that. But here's the truth. Physical intimacy, great physical intimacy in a marriage, starts with great relating. What if you related to each other this week? What if you held hands on the way out of church? What if you gave a hug on the way home, or when you got home? What if you gave some encouragement, and you said, man, I'm so appreciative for what a great parent you are, and how many things you do for our family? What if you gave a kiss before bed? What if for you, you got honest with each other and you got in a big whopping fight? Maybe that's exactly what you need right now in your relationship to begin to move forward in the right direction. But how could you take a step towards one another this week? And for all of us here, 
If you're single, who are you gonna listen to? You're gonna trust God and believe God when he says to wait, I want the best for your life, or are you gonna listen to your enemy who wants you to experience the hurt and the pain? God's plan requires faith. It always does. Let's stand as we close together in prayer at all of our campuses. You know, as I was thinking about this message yesterday, it just struck me that there are maybe many of you here who have been hurt really bad. And maybe there was something you did sexually or something that someone else did to you. And I don't know what God wants to do or how God wants to do it, but I thought, let's spend a moment and pray that God would take away that hurt and he would heal that pain. And that maybe you could start to move into a new season of your life where you could begin to help someone else who's going through that. And God could begin to use you to heal some of their pain. And I was struck that some of you are single. You're a teenager, you're a college student, young adult, and the world we live in today, this is probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do, to believe God and trust God on this. And I just wanna pray for you in that dorm room or in that house that you could really begin to honor God and that he would give you the courage even when your friends are kind of making fun of you or pushing you on it. And so let's pray together. God, I pray for that person here who has been hurt so badly by this topic. Maybe it was something they did or something that was done to them. God, right now, by the power of your spirit, would you set them free? Would you heal their hurt and help them to move into a new season, God? God, I pray for that young teenager or that college student or young adult, Lord, would you give them strength and conviction, God? Conviction to do what's right, even when it's not popular. And God, I also pray for every married couple here. God, would you give them tender moments of intimacy this week? And would you allow them to enjoy one another and to express their love in, in the most sacred and private of ways? God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.